Last year about this time, we aired an important episode regarding Biden's energy policy. We warned then that Vladimir Putin was working behind the scenes to harm American energy development. He's done that for at least a dozen years. We also discussed how a year before that, during the COVID shutdown in April 2020, energy prices had actually gone negative. Producers were paying people to take oil since we had so much of it. At the time, we explained why that wouldn't last. And last year, things had normalized. Oil traded for about $60 a barrel. But recently, things have gone nuts in the opposite direction, with oil topping $130 a barrel at one point and predictions of $200 or even $300 as the war in Ukraine started and sanctions were placed on Putin and Russia. Consumers are getting crushed. There's a fragile recovery. What comes next? How should you invest? How to protect yourself and profit? Join me in the Economic War Room. We'll meet with our favorite energy expert, Troy Andrews, the CEO of Paradigm Midstream. He's given us good advice two years ago, last year. Let's see what he has to share today. Troy, welcome back to the Economic War Room. Thanks. Good to be back, Kevin. You've been in the energy business quite a while, and you've seen it all. You know, low prices, high prices, in-between prices. Yeah. You were with us two years ago when oil was negative, and you said, hey, it's, that's not going to last. And you gave us great uh, insight and advice then. And then last year, you warned us about the Biden energy policies and what they might lead to. So what are you seeing today? Well, obviously, you know, we've got the Ukraine war, which, which uh, you know, has, has, has even heightened where we were already headed. So uh, uh, energy prices have been climbing ever since uh, the administration was put in place a new administration, um, just steadily, and then this uh, the the war in Ukraine has has exacerbated it, and really kind of taken the focus off of what what really was climate change and those sorts of things, which I still think is going to be out there to more energy security, you know, U.S. domestic energy production, those sorts of things are now things that are being talked about that haven't been talked about before. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the higher prices. Those right. impact consumers. People are noticing they pull up at the pump and they see price off the chart and, and they, they complain about it. And our Secretary of Transportation, uh, Buttigieg, says uh, what? What's his response? Well, he said, uh, let's not get caught up in short-term, short-term thought processes with pipelines and things like that. And we're all going to have to maybe suffer a little bit as we you know, change to other forms of energy which is, uh, I don't know, it's... Not much of an answer. Hey, he <laughs> right, gave the right. Marie Antoinette quote. <laughs> he said, well, if you complain about a high um, gas prices, you should buy a Tesla, right? Yeah, if you can uh, afford one. Yeah, yeah. how does the Amer- average American <laughs> consumer feel about uh, the Secretary of Transportation? Oh, just go buy a Tesla. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm not even sure how to respond to that, but yeah, I agree with you. You know, Biden energy policies, they've been responsible for the loss of American energy independence. They've canceled pipelines. Pipelines are near and dear to your heart. I mean, you built one of the great pipelines in America. Tell us a a little bit about that. Well, uh, you know, in 2000, you know, we really started that project in 2014, and it's something that really uh, should be talked about, and that's the fact that it takes longer to permit a project than it does to actually build one. 
Uh, and that's probably one thing that, that needs to be worked on here in the U.S. And, and really, the last administration tried to make strides in that direction were to make the pipelines and pro you know just overall energy projects easier to get permitted so that they could move forward. And let's face it, here in the U.S., if anybody thinks, you know, a lot of people talk about evil oil companies and all this. Well, we're all people that live here just like everyone else does, and we want a clean environment. We want to do things the right way. The energy industry is very progressive when it comes to trying to keep a clean environment and not cut corners and, and do all the things that need to be done. But it just seems like more and more often there's policies that are put in place that kind of stagnate and you can't actually get a project done. You know, every year it seems like in the last few years, it's like this is going to be the last pipe, long haul pipeline that's ever built right here. Why do we need pipelines? I mean, so you've got the Native American population that protests them at times and you've got all these different issues. The green movement says no pipelines. Why do we need pipelines? Well, I mean, you know, think about it. Uh, the production areas, let's just talk about North Dakota, for instance. North Dakota, there's, what, three, four hundred thousand people that live there, maybe maybe more, maybe 600. Um, that's not the energy, that's where the energy is being produced. It needs to get to where it's going to be refined and then used. So what's the best way to get it from the place that it's produced? Oh, let's put it on rail cars. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, that's, that's the alternative, right? The alternative is the railroad industry was built to take commerce throughout the country into the big population centers of the country. That's what it was built for. It's old. It's been around forever since the beginning of, of, of kind of the transportation industry. It just seems to me pipelines would be a much cleaner easier, safer way for the environment to oh. ship energy from, from North Dakota down to New Orleans? Per molecule delivered, it is the safest form of transportation. Plus, it doesn't go through the major metropolitan areas. It goes through the countryside. You know, it's not, uh, you know, all, if, you, if you relegate yourself to going by rail and truck, you're going through the major metropolitan areas with, with uh, fuel. Yeah. And, and it just makes no sense at Pipelines all. Pipelines have a great safety record. Yeah. Here's that, but they were the first, one of the very first things that Biden cut, is he cut the pipelines, and then he also did things that stopped hydraulic fracking and the extraction of energy. Yeah, yeah, I mean, well, they, they, they put a, a freeze on federal permits, like right off the bat, or a slowdown. And which sends a message, right? If you're if you're working in the administration and you're you're approving permits, you're really kind of being told, "Hey, uh, take your time on that. That's not something that maybe we want to do." And yeah. so it just kind of you don't have to just shut things down in order to send messages and through D, the D.C. establishment to slow things down and we want to go a different direction and that sort of thing. So. You know, a lot of those things were put into place, and one of the one of the arguments I've seen on TV is, oh, we, you know, there's all these permits out there, and nobody's nobody's utilizing them. Well, every you know, if you get if you lease up an area, you're going to go and get permits for that area, and then if you find out later, you're going to drill test wells and do some things. You may find out that it's uneconomic to drill in that area. And so you may let the leases expire. You may not use them. There's lots of reasons why that happens. Yeah. But and so, if you can't transport your oil, what, what's the point of... Yeah. You know, I think that's a false argument. Yeah. Uh, what's hidden behind that is we hear... The, the whisper is 
Actually, the Biden administration wanted higher energy prices because that would have people abandon fossil fuels and move to uh, more expensive uh, green energy projects. Yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of uh, crazy to have that thought process because we live in a you know, global society. I mean, we're, we're producing energy here in the U.S. And really, to be honest with you, per capita, you know, our emissions are lower than the rest of the country. I think we emitted uh, 4.7 uh, billion. We'll talk about this when we come back. We'll have to yeah. take a break. When okay. we come back, I want to talk about the good environmental policy versus what we're seeing now. Troy, high energy prices, I'm a stock market guy. They have been hurting uh, the stock market, hurting the economy. But they don't have to be inevitable. We had a point at which we were producing so much energy that, that prices actually came down. They didn't go up. Do, do we have enough energy in this country to meet our needs? We absolutely do. We have, a, we have enough energy in this country to not only meet our needs, and in North America in particular, like Canada and the U.S. together to also help curb a lot of the emissions worldwide. You know, I mean, we, we have plenty of energy in this country. I think that's a key point, and I want to get to that. We can produce energy here, fossil fuels, that will help curb carbon emissions worldwide. That's an important point. Yes, yes. We, uh, worldwide, um, I mean, think about it. When energy prices get high, so, so one of the things that you touched on earlier is that that energy prices are going up and the thought, the domestic thought process through this administration is, well, that'll help green energy initiatives, you know, be more palatable for people. Well, actually, you know, if you really have a climate mind and you want to curb climate emissions worldwide, we're one of the lowest, even though we're, we're one of the highest, uh, you know, energy, energy users, users yep. we're one of the lowest emitters in the world of carbon. And, and the world, worldwide, most of the world is using coal. And the way to displace coal is to produce more natural gas here and sell it more cheaply, more affordably, and sell it worldwide, which we have the technology to do. And if you really care about climate and the environment, we should be producing as much liquefied natural gas as we possibly can and, and exporting it around the world. You, you know, that's not just a theory. We actually have seen that in practice, where we pulled out of the Paris Climate Accords, we still lowered our emissions more than most any other country in the world, and we did it by moving to natural gas. Yeah. One of the things, uh, I think I saw some figures that, that showed that uh, about 2005, uh, we started reducing, we started switching coal from coal to natural gas in this country. And we reduced our emissions by a billion metric tons per year. Um, the, at the same time, the same time period from about 2005 to 2019, worldwide coal emissions increased by 4.4 billion metric tons. Wow. So we, we, we had a fraction offset of what worldwide the increase has been. And in last year, just the increase from, in, from 2020 to 2021 of worldwide coal emissions it completely wiped out everything that we did for the last, from 2005 to 2019. So all of the climate progress is wiped out because of high energy prices forcing people to coal, not solar, not wind. Right. And there's, there's not enough solar and wind 
to be able to deploy that around the world. Let's face it, in the U.S., it's, it's good to be a leader, but we need to be a leader in a different way. We need to be a leader in producing good, clean, burning you know, resources to the rest of the world, not shutting down our own resources, and then the rest of the world is left with high prices, and then they're trying to burn coal because that's what they have. Now, what you've done is you've just turned that whole thought process on its head. Actually, increasing American energy production will reduce climate problems, if that's what you're worried about, right. because we will make more energy available in a clean way to the rest of the world. Otherwise, they're just going to ignore all that and go to coal. Yeah, and what do you need? You need pipelines, you need infrastructure, you need all of those things. If you truly want to be the leader in climate reduction worldwide, you've got to make yourself the person that's going to make that happen. You can't just put policies in place to to curb supply. That's what that's what we do in this in, the, in this country. We we put energy policies in place to curb supply, but we don't help reduce demand for dirty burning energies around the world. Yeah, well, I think that there's some people who profit from that. One of Probably. them is in Ukraine right now <laughs> yeah. rolling tanks. Yeah. You know, I, I've thought about this a lot. Early on, I did work, and I, as part of my economic warfare research for the Pentagon, I found Vladimir Putin was funding environmentalist groups to stop hydraulic fracking. Yeah. And, and he'll do any, even silly little things, like you get an environmentalist group that wants to protect a blind spider, and they'll stop a $100 million energy project because they find one blind spider. How inexpensive and easy would that be to find an endangered spider species and drop him on a site? Oh, gosh. Yeah. You know, uh, um, that, that's, I think everybody in D.C. knows that. I mean, you know, I, had, I did a lot of work in D.C. when we did our pipeline project, uh, got our permitting done, and did a lot of uh, just going around talking to the folks in, in the Senate and the Congress that were impacted by the project. And, uh, you know, there was also the Dakota Access Pipeline going on at the same time, and it was being protested like crazy. And uh, the conventional wisdom there was is that was all really being funded by you know money from out of the country to shut down our pipeline infrastructure. And, I don't doubt that and, at all. And, and it was said by several members of Congress at the time to me, and you know I don't have inside knowledge as to whether that's going on, but it seemed as if they did. Well, the intelligence community is convinced of it. The had. Uh, Anders Fogg Rasmussen had made it very publicly known in the United Kingdom and so forth. It was even documented in Newsweek. There is no question that's happening. Yeah. The other problem that's happening is the drying up of capital. Because yeah. if you want to build a pipeline, if you want to drill new uh, holes in the ground and produce uh, oil or gas, you have to have financial capital. And I think it's, it's $39.2 trillion in assets under management. This is from an article... December 27th last year in Fast Company, $39.2 trillion in assets have been divested from fossil fuels, up from $52 billion across 181 institutions in 2014. So $52 billion in 2014 said no investing in fossil fuel development. Now it's $39.2 trillion. How can we produce energy if there's no capital to invest in it? Well, Kevin, I think this is probably another show to talk about, but uh, you know, when you allow very few people to manage large pensions like the everyday person, like your, 
you know, your family member who's a teacher and her teacher, her pension money goes to the teachers, Texas Teachers Union, and then they take that money and then they give it to, they give it to one of these large private equity firms that are making these policies. They may not necessarily fit in line with your policies, but to me that's another show, but we've got to figure out how to, you know, make sure the pension funds that are, that are associated with state states you know, invest the money as if they were investing it on behalf of that person. Yeah. All right. We're going to need That's to take a, a break. That's a whole other. <laughs> when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about that and some yeah. good things we can do to protect American energy independence. Okay, Troy, before we went to break, we were talking about maybe another show <laughs> on how we can have the average person investing because if we invest in American energy development, we do uh, several things. One, we help our economy. Two, we become more in energy independent as a nation. Three, we help the climate worldwide because we're able to have cleaner energy available. Um, and, and yet, everything seems to be working against that pension fund. There's a simple thing we talk about all the time called ESG investing, environmental, social justice, and governance. And here's a quote from Daily Torch. Why aren't oil companies drilling more? Look no further than the ESG goals in their corporate annual reports. I, it's very true that that's becoming a, a thing, and it really kind of came over from Europe, and it's being adopted here in the U.S. And, uh, you know, we've, we have syndicated debt against our company, and uh, I have to fill out ESG questionnaires that, uh, you know, I mean, they're they're really broad in nature. I mean, they'll ask me how much of the money from your company comes from uh, tobacco. How much of your, you know, it's, right. it's all kinds of questions. Like how many, how many women do you have on your board? Uh, how many of those things? Um, and it, it's, you know, to me, those are, those can be good things. It's always good to think about, you know, being fair-minded and, and oh, you know, hiring. Oh, on the surface, ESG looks really good. Yeah. What I'm concerned about is the virtue signaling. Right. For example, the virtue signaling of the ExxonMobil. They just elected three directors that Engine One pushed and BlackRock and all the index funds voted for. Those three directors don't like the fossil fuel industry very right. much. You know, that's the thing is that we've got to start focusing on being a leader of the world like people expect us to be. As, a, as it relates to how to solve climate change and how to, how to uh, bring about better change in the world. I mean, think about it. I mean, there's, I think I saw a figure that there's 700, 700 million people utilize half of the energy in this world. Wow. I mean, that leaves, what, 7 billion people using the other half? That are not getting enough energy, right? right? They can't live a decent yeah. lifestyle. They can't get lifted out of poverty. So we what need do they more do? energy, not less. Yeah, what do they do? They burn wood. They burn coal. They burn fuel, oil. They burn whatever they can. Right. But if we were supplying American energy to those places, they'd be able to lift out of poverty like so many others before yeah, them. Everybody needs energy. Everybody. And we can't just jump leapfrog to, oh, well, let's put electric cars. Everybody in Africa should drive a Tesla. Yeah. That wouldn't work. There's no infrastructure. Well, my deal is I don't know what these ESG policies do to solve that problem. How do we get energy to people that need energy? Because everybody yeah. needs it. No, we do, and, and if you're going to get out of poverty, you can't get out of poverty. We, had a, a, we did a program on the electric grid. If you don't have an electric grid, you don't get out of poverty. No. 
If you don't have the ability to have transportation, you don't get out of poverty. Right. And the way that you do that is you want the cleanest energy available at a reasonable price. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look at a country like Haiti. What do they? They have maybe one grid that runs part of their country, and then they the rest of it is all despot people. They're, they probably have more than half of their people that don't have any energy power at all. You know, they 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 burn fuel oil. They don't they don't have gasoline. Everything is diesel. Uh, all their electricity is run by bunker fuel. I mean. Tell me that's clean. On a building-by-building building basis yeah. in some cases. Yes. you got to just run a generator in the back so you have enough electricity. That is no way to escape poverty. That right. is no way to keep the environment clean. And yet that is a natural result of these seemingly good-sounding virtue-signaling policies. Yeah, yeah. we got to start making policy in this country that can truly affect the world in a positive way instead of seeming to have some sort of agenda behind it. Right. No, I think everybody, I know a lot of, I grew up in Oklahoma, uh, and I live in Texas. I know a lot of people in the energy industry. Not one of them wants a bad environment. Not one of them wants dirty air or dirty water. Everyone I've ever met wants to help the rest of the world. I mean, these are some of the most positive, decent, American, wonderful people you'll ever meet are those in the American energy industry. Well, I mean, just if you just look at our company, and we're no different than any of the other energy companies out there, a lot of our bonus metrics every year, number one is safety, is keeping our, making sure our employees and contractors can work and go home to their families every night. The second, and it's, and it's no less, is the environment, no spills no, you know, all of those things are, we're, we're actually, you know, we, we measure our success every year based on meeting those metrics. Yeah, well, the American energy industry has been a wonderful part of the American experience. I think it's the leader as why America has built the strong economy that we have. You can see it when energy prices are too high, the damage it causes. So, you know, I'm really proud of what you're doing. I think it's fantastic. And I think there's some really good environmentalists. Uh, You know, in fact, I I wrote down a list. Environmentalists, I think there are some true believers in a just cause. But I also think that there are some who've sold out for money or political power. And I think there are some who want us to go back to the Stone Age so that we don't hamper Mother Earth in some way. I, I like the American energy worker because they tend to be true believers in the just cause and they tend to want to clean the environment. Yeah, I know I know. I may have mentioned this to you before, but uh, if I go back to the Dakota Access protest, we had, we had workers that were working on our pipeline project at the same time that Dakota Access was being protested. Those workers, when we were finished with our project, they didn't have any work until their next job so they actually went and protested the Dakota Access because they were being paid to do it's so. It's just a job. <laughs> yeah, they it's were. It's just a job. It's crazy. They told us they were getting paid. So Troy, Somebody if, was paying them. if we were to fix the energy policies and we started today and we opened up uh, pipeline development and, you know, Biden says, oh, gosh, you know, um, it, we'd be two years away from the pipeline being built. And yet he canceled it a year and a half ago, yeah. right? Yeah. So uh, if we did all of the things we need to do today, could we be energy independent again? No question. Would, yeah. it, would it hurt Putin and his aggressiveness? Oh, yeah. yeah. In fact, um, 
if we were to really focus on clean burning natural gas, liquefied natural gas, on pr producing natural gas and exporting it globally, we could actually not only do that from a security perspective, but we could also make it more affordable around the world for, for those countries that need it. And we could also reduce emissions around the world and, and take a large step towards decreasing coal burning that happens all around the world. Wow. Thank yeah. you, Troy. Thank you for all that you're doing. You know, what we're facing is, is really a big challenge for investors. That's why we think you need to get a, a financial advisor who can help you make investments. There's going to be opportunities that will open up. There'll be a political change, and when it happens, you'll be ha have the chance to invest in America's energy future and helping improve the climate and solving all of those problems. Now, everything we've talked about is going to be summed up in this week's free economic battle plan. We'll have documentation. We'll back it all up. Plus, you'll get our action plan to return us to energy independence. You can get your copy at economicwarroom.com. Remember... What we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.